change careers, break into new industries, transition into new roles, reinvent yourself and make the dent you want. This is the Second Breaks Podcast. And now, here's your host and fellow Second Breaker, Lou Blazer. Hello, hello, my friend. We are in episode eight of the Second Breaks podcast, and it is Independence Day here in the U.S., July 4th, 2017, as I record this episode. You know, perhaps the most common aspiration or dream I hear is a desire to write and publish a book. Become a writer. I can certainly relate, as this is the dream that I am working on. 15 books before I kick the bucket. (laughs) That's my life goal. So I'm so thrilled to introduce you to my guest today, editor and writing coach, Brenda Peregrine. Since 2011, she's been helping hundreds of writers uncover and give birth to their best book. Brenda and I talk about how Amazon and the rise of Kindle, Kobo, and other online publishing platforms disrupted the traditional publishing industry and the opportunities that this opened up for aspiring writers. We also deep dive into the common misconceptions, particularly by first-time writers, about the writing and the book writing process. Here's my conversation with Brenda, and I'll catch you at the back end. Hi, Brenda. Thank you so much for spending some time with me here at Second Breaks. Absolutely, Lou. It's a pleasure to be here. I swear, one of the most common things that I hear people say is that, you know, they want to be a writer or they want to they want to write their book. I wanted to see from your perspective, what do you think has happened with the writing and the publishing industry with the advent of Amazon and Kindle and Kobo Mm -hmm. and all those kinds of writing platforms? Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's, it's, it's actually an interesting thing to look at because, um, you know, with anything there, there's two sides to the story. So you have the, the traditional publishing house experience, um, and people who are, who were very invested in that process, who might have a different perspective on the advent of Amazon than some of us self-published, you you know, people in the self-publishing industry do. Um, so I think one of the things that's really important about it is that it's just really complicated, but for people who haven't written before, um, I think it's actually really beautiful because you have an opportunity where um, a lot of the readership has been trained now away from the more traditional, like go to Barnes and Noble, pick up a book, um, to seek out content in different spheres, um, and to have the opportunity to connect with writers and authors who are, are writing directly to them and to their audience. And so something that I have seen a lot of um, in my own work with my own clients is that there are people who would would in the past maybe not have been a good co- candidate for traditional publication, mm-hmm. um, who through self-publishing and the dropping of gatekeepers and the the opportunity to do more marketing on their own end or, or put the product out on their own, own end, have been able to get in touch with exactly who needs to hear what they want to write, whether that's like crazy shark fantasy or, you know, the perfect way to grow a garden in your exact place in, you know, northern Michigan or something like that. Right. Um, and, you know, I've seen I've seen seen the spectrum and it's it's really kind of beautiful because it gives you an opportunity to really tell your story um and I think one of the things that is is great about that too is that um, writing a book isn't just for the audience; it's for the writer too. And so, with self publication, you have the opportunity not only to share the work once you're done with it, but also 
be able to write it for you to mm-hmm. get that that story that's inside of you out, um, even without someone saying, yes, A plus, you can do this. Like, you don't need that permission anymore. And I, I think that's really important and, and transformational, honestly, um, for a lot of the people that I've worked with. Gotcha, gotcha. So just to kind of level set, so traditional publishing is what, I guess, what we all grew up with, right? Where yes. it's one of those big, big, big name houses, random house, you know, that kind of, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And where you have to get a, a an agent or a rep to kind of help you shop your book around. And then, uh, and then I guess the publishing houses will purchase the rights of your book to, to get it Absolutely. published, right? Whereas with self-publishing, um, you take on a lot of those responsibilities, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, too, at this point, there's like, it's, it, it used to be really clear, like self publishing and traditional publishing. And something that has has developed in the last five years is kind of a hybrid model, where you have, you know, Penguin Random House on one side and Simon and Schuster and all that and the, the true self publisher. And there's some, some um, book trope is one of them, um, or and just like small imprints or um, very specific um, publishing houses for a certain kind of like horror or a certain kind of romance or erotica and so like the um it used to be kind of binary and now there's a spectrum um of different kind of opportunities to either put yourself out there independently or work with a group of people who might have some of those channels that isn't a full like i'm selling my rights to you know this book now and forevermore Right, right. Now, um, I, I studied this, uh, whole self-publishing industry extensively when I started to write my book, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think one of the, one of the, I don't know if it's misconceptions or wishful thinking is that mm-hmm. when you self-publish, you can write anything and put it out there and then, and then you're done. And that is not actually, well, no. <laughs> you can if you want to, but I don't know if yes. you're going to put out a good, you know, a good book or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, a, a good result for your work. But, um, and, and so uh, what I very quickly understood is that to be self-published, well, you, you take on the responsibilities that a, a publishing company would otherwise have had to do for you. So for example, Absolutely. the designing the, the cover of the book, the, you know, mm-hmm. the, the getting the title, right? Deciding on the title of the book, mm-hmm. um, hiring editors, you know, that kind of stuff. Oh my goodness, mm-hmm. writing the blurb, which is one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do. It's <laughs> more difficult than writing the book, right? And so, yes. um, what I understood uh, uh, what I quickly understood was that you take on those responsibilities, mm-hmm. right? Now, yes. of course, you don't have to, you don't do it all yourself. You hire people to mm-hmm. help you do that. So, for example, in my case, I did hire a book designer and I did hire editors and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think that's the more, the, the be- better practice or the best practice, right? It's mm-hmm. kind of, you hire people to help you. Uh, I would say unless you are in, intensely, intensely like well positioned in terms of designing and editorial services and marketing and all of that. Yes, um, you should hire someone who can help you out. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, now, the the other thing, too, is that I think it's one thing uh, and, and this is very personal, my, my experience. I think it's one thing to dream or imagine your book. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And it's one thing to actually be putting pen to paper or, or fingers on the keyboard and actually writing the book. And I actually realized 
that I needed to work with an editor, like by myself, even if, even if nobody told me you should write, hire an editor, I realized as I was going through my writing experience that I, I, uh, I needed to work with an editor. And, um, and so I guess what is, what is an important thing from your perspective? Uh, what is important for someone who's writing their first book, be it a fiction or nonfiction? Mm-hmm. What's, what's important for them to, keep in mind as it relates to editing? Mm -hmm. Well, I think, so I think the, the crucial thing here is that like editing and, and book coaching and writing mentorship kind of spans two different areas of the book creation. There's the writing process or the drafting process first, and then also the polishing process. Um, and I think that editorial support can come into either of those two channels. So uh, the more traditional perspective is you you labor through the process by yourself, right? Um, in the White Tower, um, drafting your book, you know, day in, day out, um, you know, kind of like that grueling, like artist experience. Yes. <laughs> and then you you come down from that white tower and you say, okay, the book is drafted. And now I must find someone to help me put commas in it. Um, and, so, <laughs> and so absolutely, like, I mean, if you've created something and you want to make sure that it is as polished as it can be, finding someone to edit your actual language is crucial. Um, but what I think, and, and I think there's a common conception, like, yes, I need someone to make sure that this is grammatical. Um, where I think first time writers kind of don't see it is that there is help and support in that first half. And so a lot of people will beat their head against the wall trying to get the content out, trying to bridge the gap between their idea and their audience, trying to figure out how to organize it, trying to figure out how to, and I think this is the most crucial, how to learn their own sense of writership. Um, Because we're each individual writers, we each write in an individual way. And there's this idea that we should just like wake up one day and be able to do this thing we've never done before. But you never like decide to make an end table and be like, I'm just going to know inherently how to be a carpenter, like, because I will it, right? Right, right. You go find someone and apprentice with them and like watch them build a table and then give it a shot yourself, right? And so... I think in terms of finding an editor, it's it's about being really clear about what you need help with and when. Um, and and it I I find a lot of first time writers especially suffer through that first part of the process by themselves because they don't know that they can ask for help or they the the advice that's out there is like get up every morning at six o'clock and write before you know like write before go to work. And like, for some people that works beautifully. And if you are one of those people, oh, God bless you. Like, you have a a shining star in your life. Um, And if you're not one of those people, like, it's not a problem, you just have to find what works for you. And there is help out there. Uh, And that, uh, you know, that it's not, it's in your best interest if you want to write the book, and it's your first time to seek out that help. Um, it saves you a lot of time and energy and frustration, I think. That was, um, you touched on actually one of my uh, misconceptions, earliest misconceptions. I thought you'd write your book, and mm-hmm. then you'd find an editor to help you, uh, you know, make corrections or ed- edit the finished product. And, and then right. I, I didn't realize that you could actually get uh, different kinds of there. I think there's something called development editor. And, and so there's a, there's a lot of, uh, you can get the editorial help earlier in the process. Yes. So you don't have to be uh, <laughs> suffering. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah. And, and I think that for a lot of people, you know, who kind of get into that space, it's kind of like, well, I want to save time. And so yes, 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 you can be more efficient if you pull someone into the process earlier. But one of the other misconceptions, I think, um, that most first time writers have that I've worked with, um, and I see this cause a lot of suffering is that that there is an efficient way to do this. And sometimes even if you hire someone in, even if you have a developmental editor, even if you have a book coach, sometimes the process of learning to write is not as efficient as we would like it to be. Um, and I think for first time writers that accepting that and allowing the process to be what it needs to be to get that first book out, whether it is, you know, you hire someone or you, you work through it or you hire two people or you put it down for six months or, you know, what, whatever that looks like, allowing it to be a little bit inefficient and not having this like this has to to fall out in the perfect way the first time kind of expectations for yourself can be such a breath of fresh air and such a relief yes yeah exactly Uh, oh my goodness I have so many follow-up questions to that one so um so I'm gonna pick one and then I'm gonna hopefully I'll remember the other ones and I'm gonna probably write it down to make sure that I don't forget but um so uh you had said something about efficient writing, right? And, and, or I guess most people, uh, I would imagine, especially first time writers, more than likely have a day job that they're, yes. <laughs> right? So, mm-hmm. um, so they have a day job, they have a full time job that probably has nothing to do with publishing or writing. Um, and, um, and so they're trying to find time nights and weekends to write mm-hmm. their book. Right. Yes. And so, so finding time to write is uh, in and of itself a challenge, right? And then getting into the habit of writing, whether it's um, X number of uh, minutes or hours a day or X number of words per day. And so, I guess, what has been your experience in terms of what what um, uh, what habits might be good, effective habits to? embody when you're a first time writer, when you're trying to mm-hmm. do your, your book for the first time, when you're doing your book, your first book. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think something that might set me apart from other writer experts or people who talk about things in this sphere is that I think a lot more about mindset than I do about habits. And I think that a shift in mindset is a lot of times a lot more useful than saying to yourself, I'm going to do this X thing or this Y thing in this way on this day in these weeks. Because something that I have found about writing is that it is not like mowing the lawn. Like when your grass is long, you get go outside, you fire up your lawnmower and you move it across the grass and then the grass is shorter. It's pretty straightforward. Um, writing isn't like that. And something that I find a lot of first time writers really struggle with is the fact that word count and writing are not always the same thing. And so if you set habits for yourself that are like, I'm going to get X amount of words a day, especially after you've come home from work, after you're struggling with something else during your day job, um, sometimes what writing is, is thinking really hard about your character or spending some time understanding your message in your nonfiction book or thinking about how exactly you want to express something to your audience. And those things are crucial, important, fundamental parts of writing that don't look like anything. 
And so I think that for first time writers, one of the most important things is to allow yourself the mindset that writing is very, that writing looks a lot of different ways right. and that it is important that the habit is to keep coming back to it, to keep creating space and allowing that space to be filled with whatever is most necessary at that time. And obviously sometimes that has to be putting the pen to paper, but sometimes it has to be that you're writing a, you know, fiction about lawyers. Sometimes you have to figure out how lawyers work, right? Like how does a defense attorney work or what does the prosecutor do? And that's not going to look like word count, but in the next days and weeks, that's going to translate into, you know, how much you're writing, how much dialogue you can get, how much you're going to do later, having to come back and fix things that weren't right the first time, whatever. And so I find that having the mindset um, allows the habits to kind of flow from a place of ease and permission, instead of sitting there and being like, I have two hours, I really need to get 5000 words out. If I don't, I'm not a writer, or it's never going to happen, or I suck. Um, but sometimes we're tired. Sometimes, it's not there. Sometimes what we need to do in order to write our best is to rest. And I think that especially when you're juggling more than one thing, and that's who I work with most of the time, it's, you know, like not a hundred, you know, spending a hundred percent of their time. It's finding ways to integrate writing into their life every day, even if it's not drafting or not editing or not revising. Um, and I think just being so permissive about yourself and, and, and being honest and proud of the way that writing does feel because right when you're writing a book, you're thinking about in the shower, you're thinking about in your commute, you're thinking about it, like in your meeting, you know, like it's, it's everywhere and it does infuse your life. And to recognize that for the work that it is, is so, so critical, especially when you're spending 40 hours a week doing whatever it is. Exactly. That is not writing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, actually you, you, um, you touched on something that I discovered that actually surprised myself because when I first, my first two books were fiction and mm -hmm. I found the, not the writing part, but the outlining part. So I outlined them. And so mm -hmm. I guess because there was a message and it was, it was related to the work that I do. So I found the outlining part of it fairly easy. Um, as compared to my third book that I'm attempting to do, which is my first attempt to at fiction. And mm -hmm. I found myself uh, exactly what you're talking about. Sometimes I don't I can't. It's not that I don't want to write. I, I have to think I have to like, mm -hmm. imagine things and I yes. and I <laughs> find myself sometimes I'm guilty because this is supposed to be the time I'm supposed to be writing and I'm not advancing my number of words because I'm sitting thinking about, you know, how to make the plot thicker or to twist mm -hmm. my killer or whatever it is. Right. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, it yes. doesn't feel like writing, but it's actually towards it is. Right. I mean, it's not, it's not like writing. It is writing. That is part of writing. <laughs> and so like, that's why the shift from word count or time spent to like actual process is so critical. Um, because instead of feeling guilty about that time you spend sitting there staring off into the corner, thinking about your killer or whatever, um, you should feel proud of that and feel like happy that you were able to think about it and, and and make progress and move forward. And I think that it's just the trust, right? It's trusting ourselves to work on the process the way that we need to um, in order to actually make the word count in the end. Right, right. Do you advise people who, again, uh, especially particularly first time book writers, do you advise them to get into a daily find your hour or find your, you know, rhythm kind of thing? 
I advise my clients to figure out something that works for them. And so if they are someone who naturally kind of gets into that rhythm, you know, they are good at going to the gym every morning, they like setting aside time, they're able to show up when they set time for themselves to do it, then I say, yeah, let's work with that. Let's work with that framework. If they're someone who is not like that, um, especially if they have a life, you know, if they're a stay-at-home mom or balancing mom and career, like family and career, you can't really be like, sorry, Jimmy, it's mom's writing hour, you know, go have your crisis later, right? And so instead with... Um, those kinds of situations, I try to create like triggers for, for them. So instead of saying at six o'clock PM or for one hour a day, I say, okay, how can we create a ritual, a way of engaging with your time and space so we can create the space whenever you have time for it. So instead of being like, it's from 6am to 6pm, it's like, let's open an umbrella whenever you have space to open that umbrella and sit under it and write. And if that happens every day, that's great. If that happens every Saturday from 3pm to 7pm, while your husband can hang out with the kids, that's great. And I, I find that a book is a book, whether or not it's written in a chunk each day, right? The outcome is what's important, not the way we get there. And so I, I think the most important thing for my clients I've found is finding something that works with their life rather than imposing a structure on the time that they already have. This is why I think I read in your website, it's that somebody said you are the Brene Brown of, of uh, coaches or something like <laughs> yeah. that. So now I understand why, <laughs> where that comment comes from. Totally understand. <laughs> You know, we, we've used the words you know, editor, and I think at some point we said proofreading, and, and then we've also thrown out the phrase, you know, book coach, a writer's coach. And can you, Brenda, maybe differentiate what, what does one do versus the other? Yes. So um, editors do a lot of different kind of editing. Um, on the most substantial side, it's developmental editing or content editing, um, which is taking uh, material that already exists and developing it or managing it so that the elements of fiction are more accurately expressed, the reader is able to engage with it at a deeper level, the story is more effective. Um, basically, you know, so in fiction, you'd be like saying, how can we how can we implement the the conflict arc in a way that really moves the reader or that really like shows the the characters taking action or shifting or changing? Um, a line editor is going to focus um, on the deeper language kind of issues, making sure that the, the writing's effective and efficient, um, grammatical, proofreading, um, and copy editing um, is superficial, you know, to make sure that, that, you know, you have all the commas and there's no typos and all of that kind of stuff. All of that falls into editor, editorship. Um, and I would say for most editors, that developmental piece kind of pulls backwards a little bit into the end of the first draft. So I will do develop, de developmental editing with a book that is three quarters of the way, two thirds of the way completed. Um, at that, you can start dropping into that um, and start doing that that deeper work because you can already see, it's kind of like with a painting, right? If the canvas is blank, you can't be like, where's the mountain? You know, you have no frame of reference. Once those frames of references are, are there, um, you can start saying like, okay, well, you really need a tree on the left here. Um, before that, before that point where the frame of reference starts to be built in, that's when you're in book coaching land um, or writing mentorship. And so that's where you're taking, I see book coaching. Um, uh, I use writer mentor, writing mentorship loosely too, um, because I work with online entrepreneurs too. Um, so I'll help them with their, you know, their copy or their eBooks or whatever like that. And I see that as a, a big umbrella, but book coaching is, is from the beginning when you have the idea or the outline and you need help implementing it. And I found that 
that most of the time with book coaching, it's a lot more focused on the how to write rather than the material itself. I'd say it's a two thirds, one third split. And I guess talking through this, that's where I'd see the differentiation. If you look at the, you know, the two things of, of writing in the writing world, um, the material itself and how to write or how to embody writership, book coaching is stronger on the how to embody writership side and less strong on the content itself. And editing, developmental and otherwise, is stronger on the content side and lighter on the how to embody writership. So what if you have, uh, what if you're someone who likes to outline, for example, or plot, Mm -hmm. like I am, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and um, you want to have it reviewed first? So as in, does this outline flow? Does it make sense for if mm-hmm. it were a fiction book, for example? Or um, does the plot, you know, is it good enough of a plot? Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that you work with a book coach with? Because that's kind of more towards the beginning, really, before mm-hmm. you put a lot of work to it. Yes. Um, I mean, I think this is a, a question that each individual editor would answer their own way. Um, and I think I think if, if someone were in that situation, getting in touch with someone who seems to be a good fit for them and saying, hey, I have this outline. Will you look at it and talk talk it over with me? That for me, answer would be yes. Of course I will. <laughs> you right, know, right. of course I would do that. Um, finding the, the right person for that is less about the title and more about the goodness of fit, I think, in terms of whether or not you feel comfortable with them, whether or not you are looking like like the with the editor um writer relationship those the people you're working with have their hands in your underwear drawer right Right. like this is some of the most intimate meaningful like deep stuff that we do is create um and so i think it's it's nine times out of ten way more important to find someone who can fit who fits your style who's writing you like whose approach you like um to take a look at your stuff rather than saying do i need a book coach do i need an editor because the the reality of it is is most people who can do one can or will be able to do the other, whether or not they market themselves that way, at least in my experience. Um, there are definitely editors out there who hate, hate, hate book coaching and book coaches who are like, I don't want to line edit something, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, but that is, um, that's more personal preference. Um, for me, I would say, you know, get in touch and we'll talk about it. Right, yes, right. It. Well, you actually, um, you actually mentioned something that I think I thought was critical, especially if you've never worked with an editor before, right? And um, and I I guess this is the this is the benefit of you were going with the traditional route. You know, the publisher provides you with the editor and and all that kinds of good stuff. But if you're doing a self-publishing route, then you select or you find yourself an editor that you can work with or the, you know, the the magic fit word that you used, right? And so I think, um, is, do you have any sort of tips in terms of what, what should we be looking for? What does fit look like? Or how, how do we know if we are a good fit? We have a mm-hmm. fit with someone. We have a good fit with someone. Honestly, my advice in that that department would be to get on the phone, to just talk to the person. Um, because, you know, I have done sample edits before and it, I still do sample edits. And there is something for me, at least, and this is 100% my answer, um, is that like when you're engaging with the person, you learn something that you don't learn when you're just engaging with the text. The text is a proxy, right? It's a thing between the two of you. And so like, 
I have found that book success is much more on, um, it's like the idea is a lot of times that it's like, oh man, I need to make sure I hire someone who will find every typo, right? Um, but we've all read books that have typos in them, right? And still love them. And so, yes, we do want a high standard of like, you know, proofreading for our stuff. But, but the, the real crucial issue is, am I expressing myself in a way that my audience can engage with? Uh, do I feel safe talking about how I feel? Do I feel like I can challenge the editor's questions or ask her questions to find out what she thinks? Um, can we sit down and have a conversation about character B in scene X and come to a better understanding of the thing together? And so I think for me, the answer is if you talk to someone, you get that gut feeling, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you hire three contractors and you know one is kind of off, right? You don't hire them to do your lawn. It's the same thing with editorship. It's the same thing with book coaching. It's the same thing with graphic design. You know, um, I, I'm a hundred percent and you know, you can ask like what, what kind of editing man, you know, like, do you use the Chicago manual of style 16th edition? You know, like you can definitely ask those kinds of questions. Um, how do you handle like the Oxford comma or the serial comma? Like, but I found that the answers to those and the ways of dealing with those kinds of nitty gritty things are so much more, um, flexible because you can say, you you know, for my book, I would really like you to ignore X, Y, Z. Um, but can you have that conversation in the first place? Do you feel comfortable having that conversation in the first place? That's, that's where I, you know, that's where I, I always land. Yeah. And I think for, for me, the way that I perform, you know, my work with writers is that I want to be the kind of person that in the middle of the night at three in the morning, when you're up and you got a drink of water and you're sitting there and like, what am I doing? What am I doing? Is this ever going to work? Is anyone going to read this? I want to be the kind of person that my clients can email and say, oh my God, can you just tell me that this is okay, that I'm doing an okay job? Right. And for me, that's how I like to show up. And th then the text is something we co-create between us rather than, you know, it being the, the thing that where the connection happens and we are two separate people looking at it across the table. That's so great, Brenda. Thank you so much for explaining it that way because I've actually had conversations with other uh, writers like me who's, you know, doing their first or their second book. And so we're still mm -hmm. sort of new in this in this you know world and feel sometimes we feel intimidated by mm -hmm. the editor right and yes. so um you know they're supposed to be the experts and whatever they say you know and 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 you kind of feel gun shy asking your questions mm -hmm. because then you kind of don't want to sound stupid or if they say <laughs> so then it should be gospel you know but then what if you don't understand what they said or what if you know, because you want to understand why they're suggesting one thing, right? Because you also want right. to learn for the next time. So right. thank you so much for explaining that. Uh, that Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I feel like being able to ask the question is crucial. Well, I guess that, even... is, that is one yeah. of the keys, right? So if you don't feel like you can ask a question, then it's probably not a good fit. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> Okay. Now, do you recommend, what about this thing about, uh, again, most first-time writers hear this suggestion, oh, join writers groups and share your writing with other writers. Mm -hmm. What do you um, think about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I I think, you know, like everything, it's complicated. Um, I think if you're a person who really benefits from that kind of sharing, then that's great. Like if it's going to motivate you to get in a group, to form connections, to have a source of support, then go for it. Um, if you are a person who is totally intimidated and gun shy about sharing your writing, like you will eventually have to do that if you want to be, you know, out there in the world, right? Um, but if it's one of those things that kind of 
of gets in the way of you sitting down to write every day, if you are, have that in the back of your mind, like, oh, God, I'm going to have to show this to someone, then I would say, wait, um, I, I feel like I, I, I guess like my <laughs> my main go to is like, what works for you? How do you feel about this? Because, you know, I have I do have a writing group that I'm a part of here in Portland. Um, and I've seen some really beautiful, magical things come out of it. And there's also conflict sometimes that you have to navigate just like anyone else, any other group of people. And sometimes the feelings that come out of that when your writing is involved can be really intense. Um, and so I just, I would just say that if, you know, if you're going to for walk forward into a collaborative group like that to, to be gentle with yourself and be gentle with your reactions and know that, um, what someone says sometimes needs to be listened to and sometimes needs to be set aside. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Not everyone's going to see eye to eye with you. And also sometimes you have to listen to the hard truths that someone else reflects to you. And I think that's where it comes down to your gut. Like as a writer, you know, whether you're talking to an editor, whether you're talking to another writer, check in with yourself. Like when they're saying this is the way it has to be, is it true for you? And if it is great, listen to it and do what you have to do in order to make your peace with that. And if it isn't say thank you and move on with your life. Mm -hmm. And you know, the more you put your work out there, the more you're going to get opinions about it. And I think it's our job to, to realize that we really hold the key as the writer. Right. Um, right. You know, and I think that's, uh, that's another one of those balancing acts, right? Cause the, on the one hand, I think sharing your work also, um, allows you the practice. Cause I think for a lot of mm -hmm. us, for me, for example, I have been writing quietly in secret for years. I never shared mm -hmm. them. Right. And yes. so, so when I decided that I actually wanted to officially write books for publishing purposes, then I had to get through that initial fear of sharing your work with someone. So I think for, for, for that purpose, the sharing with the writer's group helps because then you're beginning to share in a safe group. If you have a safe group, right. And, and mm -hmm. share your writing. But also I, I've, I've also been in one or two situations where, um, the feedback that I received did not help me. Rather, it killed whatever budding mm -hmm. sort of thing I had inside. And so yes. I actually walked away from my draft for a while because mm -hmm. it, it, it had a different effect. So yes. the, yeah, that chill, because I think the thing to keep in mind too, is like with any other social interaction, writing feedback from, uh, from another writer is, oftentimes just as much about them as it is about your work, right? And and that's something that you run into a lot with editors and even editors and also just other writers is that there's so much ego and so much desire to be recognized caught up in the whole process, right? Mm -hmm. It's like shaking up like a snow globe and you don't know what's falling. Sometimes, you know, like, yes, like you do need to hear it even if it's painful, but sometimes it's just, it's all their ego coming out at you. Mm -hmm. And I think- I think that like being able, like that's one of the, the most beautiful things you can cultivate for yourself as a writer is the ability to differentiate between what is really for you and what isn't. Because sometimes you're just, you're always going to get that. You're going to get some, I mean, look, look at uh, JK Rowling's Harry Potter reviews, right? You know, on Amazon. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. You know? Right. 
if, if she looked at the one star reviews and, and took them to heart, you know, we wouldn't have something beautiful that a lot of people enjoy. Exactly. And also, this book is a little long, exactly. right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. Right. So that's a good point to remember. Um, so speaking of writing process, I know that you're doing and speaking of being brave and putting yourself <laughs> out there, Brenda, I know that you are doing something amazingly brave and uh, <laughs> amazingly, you know, vulnerable and helpful. And I think you call it drafting out loud. True, Could yes. you talk a little bit about about that and where yes. if, if, you know, anybody who's listening to the podcast, if they're interested where they might where they might see that process unfold, but you know, talk mm -hmm. a little bit about it. Absolutely. Um, so drafting out loud is a imperfect attempt um, to share the drafting process um, with a audience um, before the book is finished. Because what I have found in my last five plus years working in this sphere is that um, one of the biggest things that um, writers struggle with is the fact that they are comparing their drafted material to finished product. And so you don't have an opportunity to see what the first draft looks like, what the second draft looks like, what the third draft looks like, what the final product looks like from the inside. You only see the polished final published version. Um, and you also have a lot of people who are really good at, it's kind of like the people who train for a half marathon, who hit every single, like every single marathon workout, right? They're the ones who are saying, yeah, I work out seven times a week and I run. And the people who are like, oh God, I didn't do anything this week. Don't say anything about it. It, right? Um, I am much more the second person than the first person. And I found a lot more of my clients are like that too. And they really struggle with that. Um, so drafting out loud is my attempt to open up the drafting process from the inside. So I haven't written a fiction book before. I've done a ton of content creation, ton of blogging, ton of um, working in that sphere, but I haven't, I haven't walked that path myself yet, but I have a different perspective than a lot of other people do having helped over at this point, 250 people write their books. Um, um, and so I'm trying to to synthesize what I have learned with going through the process for the first time to demonstrate to people what it looks like from the inside, from the what it like the Bob, Bob Ross approach to writing, where you know you stand there and you watch Bob Ross whacking his paintbrush against the little thing and like putting in the happy little clouds and stuff. You learn a lot from the process, right? And and no one does that um, when it comes to writing. And so drafting out loud is my attempt to to do that. Um, and the nexus of that work right now is on. Facebook. I have a Facebook group that's just Facebook slash drafting out loud. Um, and, uh, you know, it's slow going. I'm balancing my client work with my business development and drafting. Um, but I, my intention for it and so far the, the realization is, is that it is a place to just kind of pull back the curtain a little bit. Um, and, and see, you know, what it is like <laughs> on the other side um, and to normalize it because we all have these expectations for what it looks like back there. And the reality is that none of our expectations match um, what actually people go through. Um, and I think that being able to talk about that really will help people give themselves permission, you know? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, so if I put a link to the Facebook group, can mm -hmm. anybody just ask to join and they will be Absolutely. able to see your, your, uh, work, your yes. draft, your drafted? Yes. My draft, my pieces. first draft. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so do, how do you, do you, do you say every day I will put out something? So how does it work with you? 
That's a great question. And I have been stymied a little bit with some health issues of my own, which are a reality of every human being out there. So um, I started this in April and I have done um, some drafting and I, I have tried, I am like I said, not the best at scheduling time for myself um, on a habitual kind of basis. And so um, it's a hybrid of my conversational pieces that are video related, talking about the process um, and the draft itself. And I have kind of allowed myself to approach it the way I would approach it if I weren't doing it in public. Um, so instead of saying, people are standing there watching me, I have to show up, I have to do it. It's like, I'm going to do it when I'm ready to do it. And when I'm not ready to do it, it's going to hang out there. Because that's the reality of the way we write. Right. That's how it looks. Right. And so, um, uh, you know, I don't hold myself to a schedule. Um, it, it has, you know, it has Facebook's kind of like attachments to it. So um, I will send out um, updates through my email list when there's something new or, you know, you'll get the little Facebook ping. Um, but I have have a lot invested and in just letting it be what it is. Um, because, you know, it, it, it isn't going to help anyone if I perform writing in a way that writing doesn't happen behind the scenes. Right, right. I love that. If like a performance writing, if a performance yes. versus the and, and what you're trying to do is show how it is for real. This is how writing yeah. is for real. So yes. that, that's perfect. Yes. That's great. So well, on behalf of all the aspiring writers and, you know, wannabe writers and first time and second time writers, thank mm. you yes. for, for peeling the curtain back a little bit and showing us, right? Mm. Um, because it's otherwise it's so intimidating and you kind of, like I said, you kind of feel scared and, and um, there's a lot of, you know, it, it's it's one of those... For a lot of people, it's been a dream. It's been their dream for a long time. And then you're finally doing it. And there's a lot of, ex you know, expectations, self-imposed and, and otherwise yes. that are there. And, and so mm -hmm. your, your project is, is really uh, going to help us out there. So thank well, you for I, that. <laughs> you're absolutely welcome. So Brenda, one last question. Where can people find you online mm. and all that kinds mm -hmm. of good stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my uh, like standard webpage is um, forestnorthbooks.com. Um, it's where I do where the editing work comes from. Um, I spend a lot of time on Facebook, so um, connecting with me there through Drafting Out Loud is fantastic. Um, and, you know, Ed, other than that, like, I, I find that whatever channel opens up to to be engaged with is the one that is right. So um, I'm online. It's easy to find me. And I look forward to connecting with anyone who wants to chat some more about their books. Perfect. Well, Brenda, this was, you know, fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much for spending some time with me and sharing your thoughts about this. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I love talking about this. It's such a well, gift. I, I could talk about this all day. <laughs> oh, me too. <laughs> Find out more about Brenda at secondbreaks.com episode 8. That's one word, episode 8. You will also find today's show notes there as well as my key takeaway from this episode. I'd love for you to leave a comment. Let me know what you thought about today's topic and let's turn this into a conversation. Next week, I start a new series here in this podcast. We'll talk about the processes and structures that support a successful career move. 
On that note, I want to invite you to Make Your Move, a six-part free course where I walk you through what it takes to make a solid and confident career move in today's fast-changing world. It starts with your individualized career move profile, which you can get at secondbreaks.com forward slash free course. That's it for this week's episode of Second Breaks Podcast. You can download other episodes of this podcast and subscribe in the iTunes store. If you enjoyed what you heard, I'd really appreciate your feedback in iTunes because your rating and review help us reach as many career changers as possible. All you need to do is search for Second Breaks Podcast in iTunes, go to the tab that says Ratings and Reviews, and leave your feedback there. Thank you so much. With that, I'm signing off. I'll talk to you next week. Till then, keep on making your dent, my friend. Cool beans. This is the Second Breaks Podcast. 